You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of After Impact. I am your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I am here with none other than Agent Smith. Mr. Bilyeu. What is up, dude? How you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How about yourself? Good. You ready to crush this Naveen Jane episode? I'm ready. Did you have a nice uh, holiday, 4th I of July? I did, I did. It was very sort of atypical from a 4th perspective in that I saw three fireworks oh. all through my bathroom window. On my way to bed, yeah, and that was it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we had a lovely time. Weather was insanity, so we yeah, took nice. real advantage of that. And uh, and it was a Tuesday, which was made it was it even of, more bizarre. Yeah, it was kind of a weird holiday. Yeah, in the middle of the week there, it was. But we're back, so we're pre-recording this. We, we should, are. We should Very note. True. Um, so we're talking about Fourth of July, which was last week in your future world. Yes. Um, all right, Naveen Jain. So Naveen I want to give a little bit of background on Naveen Jain. He is a serial entrepreneur and thought leader. Um, he grew up poor in India and immigrated to the U.S. in 1979. He's an engineer by training and worked for a number of startups in the 80s um, before working for Microsoft and then eventually going on to found a company called Infospace and then another company called Intellius. But his latest venture is called Moon Express, which is super interesting. And their objective is to send machine-operated spacecraft to the moon to mine it for natural resources. So yeah, literally buddy. a moonshot. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So obviously you have a history with Naveen. You guys know each other very well. Um, I want to dive into the episode. This is a really strong one. I think it's going to really resonate with people. And the first thing you, you guys touch on, um, which I want to get more of your thoughts on is millennial guilt over profits. Yeah. So I know this is something, um, Naveen says doing good and doing well don't have to be mutually exclusive. Um, and I know this is something that seems to really trouble you that's happening right now. And I want, I want to understand yeah. why, why it's troubling me yeah. or why it's happening, why it's troubling you. Uh, and then we'll go into why we think it's happening. All right. Fair enough. So the reason that it troubles me is it's bad for getting shit done. And and when people have a, a non-useful strategy to a very important problem, I get super freaked out. Yeah. So I think that um, corporations as sort of greed is good mentality is horrific and it leads us nowhere. And it's an equally bad strategy to a very important problem. But when the strategy is focused on tearing something down, is focused on giving instead of problem solving, you by definition, aren't solving the problems that need to be solved. And I thought that Naveen really summed up my feelings when he said philanthropy should never be about giving money. It should be about solving a problem. Mm. And I thought that is so important. Like I need people to understand that yeah. is if you really want to have the impact that you want to have, going and screaming at people for doing it the wrong way or going and giving money to somebody that does not have a self-sustaining economic engine. And the, the most important thing to understand about me is I believe the only thing in today's age that's sellable over the long run is value. Mm -hmm. So with that belief, I'm saying self-sustaining economic vehicles deliver value. That's it. So by definition, I think that in a hyper-connected social world where you can reward and punish companies immediately by telling people what they're really all about, the only companies that are going to last are going to be the companies that deliver val more value than they take. So with that, like as your sort of baseline assumption, from there, I really believe if you want to solve these grand challenges, you have to do it in a way that's self-sustaining. And it's really interesting to put him in context because there's a real argument right now between what actually innovates. Is it corporations that really can't stomach long burns, which I totally get, or is it governments that can because they don't as much have to justify like profitability and things like that? So when you look at his latest company, Viome, it's actually leveraging uh, a governmental um, initiative, which was to find out from uh, a national security perspective what impact the microbiome would play if there were um, an attack, a terrorist attack of 
Um, of what nature they were looking at, I don't entirely know, but you can imagine biological probably was their primary focus. Yeah. So in doing all of that, they spent hundreds of millions of dollars really having some breakthrough innovations in terms of how to really check at a detailed, effective level what's going on in the microbiome. And then they make this stuff available. And that's true of like universities, of governments. Like there are a lot of institutions out there that have their own reason for doing the research, but they never plan to figure out how to actually monetize that thing. But we're living in a world where that exists. So I don't care like what the argument is, whether it's corporations, whether it's governmental institutions, universities, whatever. We live in a world where there are so many untapped resources and they are untapped specifically because people don't know how to make money at them, yeah. right? So really think about that. Some of the grandest discoveries and things that we've made, they lay dormant until somebody finds a way to make use of them. Why? Because only value sustains. And it's the breakthrough isn't in and of itself valuable. It's somebody who comes along and understands how that can play in, in a way that can be delivered to people in a way that they'll pay for it. So like understanding how the microbiome plays in terms of a biological attack that is not useful for my wife. But Viome as a company, leveraging that technology for her to understand what's going on and how her diet and supplementation needs can be met or missed by by understanding that she knows what's being met or missed, excuse me, and then she can take um, action based on that. And, and I hope, and I don't know how much Viome can tell you what to do, but I think that's their ultimate play because there's so many regulations around this stuff. But ultimately, that's what I would want Viome to be doing, right? So, hey, here's the state of your microbiome. Do exactly this. Mm -hmm. And either themselves would produce the things that need to be um, intaken, whether that's special probiotic food, whether that's prebiotics. Sorry, probiotics um, are the actual bacteria or the prebiotics that feed them. Um, or the supplements or whatever, or work with other companies to make recommendations. Either way, I don't care. She has a problem I want it solved, and that value is monetizable. So when I really, so you know my obsession with the game, no bullshit, what would it take? To me, that always ends up being... Tell me more. <laughs> I promise that was accidental and that the cup exists because I have such a fiendish belief around no bullshit, what would it take, and not the other way around. Um, but yes, please go to shop.impacttheory.com to show us whether we're delivering enough value with that to sustain. But that's really what people have to do is ask the question, how do you actually solve this problem? And that's where it gets really interesting to me. And I won't take us yet down the, his road of like desalinization is actually curing a symptom and not the real problem and like how he breaks it down. I trust we'll get into that later. But um, really asking yourself, no bullshit, how do we solve this problem is where you're going to end up every single, every single time at it has to be a monetizable event. Because think about the way that even philanthropy works, because this is where people like look so far and then they stop looking because they don't like what they see. Philanthropy requires the cooperation of people who have created a self-sustaining economic vehicle, period. Like you're going out and begging money from people. Sure. And whether that's your average everyday person who has you know very little to spare, but you get them an aggregate and you get enough money, or you're going straight for what most people do, which is going for the truly wealthy and asking them to write really big checks. At the end of the day, either way you shake it or bake it, you're tapping into the way that economies work and economies are driven by the things that you can sell and generate revenue, period. So literally like going and attacking that, it doesn't make any sense. And now if you want to get into capitalism versus communism, just to keep it really easy, read the book Homo Deus and he goes into, don't worry about like the... Um, the moral answer to whether capitalism or communism is better or worse. Simply ask the question, what are those two means of thought? And his answer, which I find utterly like, there's no way around it, is they are simply forms of processing data, period. Now, once you accept that capitalism is a form of processing data, communism is a form of processing data, then you can say, okay, which one is more efficient at processing data? And his whole argument, again, read it directly from him, it's amazing. Uh, is capitalism is distributed data processing. So you're asking each local area, how much bread, for instance, it was the example they used in the book, uh, Homo Deus, how much bread should be produced and what should the cost of that bread be? Okay, well, have that. It's going to be decided region by region. It's going to be decided how many people want bread at that time, how much are they willing to pay for it. The market will tell you what it can bear and how much it wants. 
in communism, you're asking one centralized place, the government, to make that decision and say, like, hey, this is how much we need here, this is how much we need there. We know how that ends up with people waiting in line for bread because that is impossible to have centralized. It's just, one, it varies, and two, to make every, like, have you ever been in a company where there's, like, an obscene bottleneck? Like, I have been that bottleneck before. I know what that looks like. It's just stupid. So I could keep going, but I'll stop there. But to me, like, people are getting hung up on morality Mm. in the abstract rather than actually dealing with the reality, which is philanthropy is going out and begging money. That's the truth. And so now you're beholden to somebody making that money. And are you saying you don't care the way that they make that money? I'm saying I care. And I care very deeply about how they made their money. I want them to make their money doing something that's actually beneficial. But to say that making money is somehow intrinsically bad, like it doesn't, like the whole concept breaks down. It just breaks down. Yeah. And you think that's how we got to this place? Is that people confusing morality with the efficiency of, or the the value system of, of creating, creating money? No, I think that we got to this place by companies being truly parasitic, Mm -hmm. many companies taking horrific advantage of people, um, that the, there was probably, I'm not knowledgeable enough about sort of the history and the movements of capitalism, communism, all that. Like I'm not the guy you should be listening to for that, but I have a gut instinct that there were enough companies, um, that really were just, just pillaging and take, 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 take with no concern for environment, no concern for employees, no concern for how this plays out in, in longevity. So like, I get that. I, I get why people are rebelling. So once you accept, I'm rebelling too, okay? If you can look at me for a second as like a wild rebel who is pushing back against like greed is good and all that stupid shit, but see how I'm rebelling, which I think is the rebellion that makes sense. And I'm saying, this is about problem solving. Okay, I'm going to quote Naveen again. Philanthropy should not be about giving money. It should be about solving a problem. So I look at obesity. I look at um, ill health. I look at the pandemic of the body. And I don't say, who do I get to donate money so we can do a whole bunch of research and solve this problem? I say, how do we get people leveraging their behavior? How do I get them to want to to, to do the right thing? I'm having a stroke. And this also touches on another quote that Naveen has. Don't worry about leading a horse to water and trying to get them to drink. Make them thirsty. They'll find the water for themselves. So that was the whole thing with Quest was how do you get people to want to eat right? How do you get them to want to eat right? And let me tell you, it isn't longevity. It isn't even looking good. Like it has to taste good. Like you need to leverage that people are compelled biologically to eat certain things. Make those things healthy. Yeah. Like that's the punchline. How do you get people to get out of the matrix? Make the bricks with which they build their belief system, which is really what that's a problem of. Make the bricks that they build their belief system around unavoidably empowering. Unavoidably empowering. And this kind of goes into something that Naveen talks about a lot in the episode, which is solving the problem and not the symptom. So how do you get to a place where you're thinking that way? And, And I don't know, can you give some examples of times when you found yourself that you were you were attacking a symptom and not the actual root problem. Perfect, yes. The original idea behind Quest started from a conversation that my partner and I had where I was talking about my sister. She was um, depressed and like, how do you make her happy? And so we started talking about, okay, well, we could kidnap her, take her out in international waters. I could disguise myself. I don't want her to resent me. Um, we take her out in international waters so I don't want to go to jail. Like, I mean, just like the whole, th- and literally walking through And it was no bullshit. It would work to get her lean, which was one of the things that we thought like the body image is so important to her self-esteem and all that. So, but we were addressing the symptom, right? We weren't addressing what was really causing it, which was at its most basic, she's eating food that she has a negative metabolic response to. And so once we understood, okay, like if you actually want to help somebody be healthy, if you want to help them get in shape and all that, you can either basically um, try to do something like that, which would work, it would get her lean, but at the end of the day, it's not, she's gonna come back and resent the shit out of what just happened to her, she's then gonna eat a ton of bad food again because you didn't actually address the real problem, and the real problem is that people get into that negative spiral because the things that they're biologically pushed to eat 
are terrible for them on a metabolic level. So if you're going to leverage behavior instead of try to change it, like you have to address the food supply. Now, the second company I'm building is to really finally answer the question because at the end of the day, to be frank, while I think the body is really, really important, it won't in and of itself solve depression. Okay, which was actually the problem I was trying to deal with. Yeah. So that's why I always said there were two ways to get to the mind through the body, which does get like this really positive thing going. I mean, you can test people neurologically. If you make them exercise, they'll do better on tests. I mean, it's crazy. So there yeah. really is something going on with the body. So we were not too far off track with that. But then ultimately, it's the mind. Like your mind has to be right. And so that's why this company, while people, I worry, I really do worry about this, people will see the um, us approaching narrative and all that stuff and confuse us for somebody who cares about that intrinsically, like in and of itself, as if that were an end, and that's not. And that's why the universe of stories that we will tell is so finite because I'm only interested in telling stories that pull people out of the matrix. Sure. So that to me is addressing the symptom versus addressing the problem. The problem is the neurochemistry and the wiring of your brain, period. Awesome, that's great. And I think this will be an interesting segue into, you know, you mentioned depression, and I know that there's been a lot of research lately about the microbiome and its effects on, you know, the bacteria in your gut and its, its effects right. on depression, anxiety. No, this is a subject that is um, you're personally invested in, and we touched on it already, but I wanna go a little bit deeper into, tell me about some of the research you're doing and how big you think this is going to be in the future of healthcare. It's really interesting that, so this, you wanna talk about one of the most natural tie-ins to an episode ever, it would be that. So Lisa's been struggling for a lot longer than I knew that Naveen was um, looking into the microbiome, and I talked about this in the episode, and I really did call bullshit on him, and I was like, what what do you like what do you know about the the microbiome dude like i really felt like what i had learned at quest just put me so much farther ahead than most people and so when i was talking to him i'm thinking moon express like i know him um on that side the engineering side the computer engineering and so i'm like i i just i'm going to push because i know him well enough that i can yeah. and it's it's so important to me to solve this problem with my wife. So we were at an XPRIZE event and he was like, oh, I'm launching this new company. It's called Viome and it's all about the microbiome. And I think we've really figured something out. And it's, you know, you got to be going way deeper than the companies that are testing it. And I was just like, okay, well, what do you know about this? And he'd answer it. What do you know about like this? And he'd answer it. And like really compelling, thoughtful answers. I was like, Naveen, like, where have you learned all of this? Like, now I realize he knows 10x, 100 times more about it than I did. So I was just, I was humbled to be sure. And whenever I see that somebody, like, knows something, I just immediately go into student mode. Like, I just want to learn, learn, learn. So I promptly, metaphorically, of course, sat myself at his feet and just started asking, asking, asking. And really began to realize, okay, not only is this a huge problem, but he may, and I don't know enough yet to know for sure, but he may be on to the right answer. Here's why I find his answer compelling. It's not enough. So he talks about understanding things at the genus level. It's not enough to understand like what bacteria you have in your gut, which is pretty much where everybody else is. The microbiome is made up of a lot more than just bacteria. It's bacteria, it's uh, viruses, it's fungi, it's phages, which that's something like phages. Every time I say that word, I have this overwhelming sense of guilt. So I have to like disclose, I don't understand them yet at all. I've never even heard that word before. So it's a thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm learning slowly about them. Um, but so that's sort of our understanding of the microbiome. Now, as you talk to anybody who is an expert in the microbiome, the first thing, they will fall over themselves to tell you, we just don't know enough yet. So there are so many questions in all of this. Um, but there's just phenomenally interesting studies that come out. And this is why I believe in, in whoever solves the problem. And if it's Naveen, awesome. I really like him. It'd be amazing to see that happen. Um, I think it's too early to call a horse in this. But when you see, and he talks about this in the episode, how many things now people are saying, God, like there's some at least correlation, 
maybe causation between things that are going on in the gut. He talks about Parkinson's. I think he mentioned Alzheimer's um, in the episode. And just way more, the levels of serotonin, something like 80% of all the serotonin in your body um, starts as either a signal produced by your microbiome in the gut or actually produced in the gut. I I don't remember Mm -hmm. the exact stat, but utterly fascinating that up to roughly 80% of the serotonin, which is that feel-good neurochemical, neurotransmitter um, in your brain is, is either, it's controlled by your gut. We'll just say it like that. If that's true, like that alone, which one would explain why when your diet gets so out of whack that you can really create emotional problems for yourself and one of the ways to just start feeling better. And that's how everybody's always talked about it. It makes you feel better, but why? And if it's because you're no longer disrupting your microbiome's ability to um, regulate your serotonin levels, like that alone would be a massive breakthrough that honestly will earn somebody a Nobel Prize or at least should because that's so important. Like when I think about all the people that write me every day, about suicide, that actually scares me. That's one of those things that like, it's somebody like, the way I feel when I read somebody that's writing to me about suicide, like I can all but hear like the clanking of the gun barrel against like the fucking tables and shit. Like it's just so scary. Like when you hear somebody playing with um, something that dangerous, it's like, you've got to seek help immediately. So when I think that the microbiome may, 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 may be one of the most important factors in regulating your neurochemistry, that would make it, because I believe that we are truly living through an era of the pandemic of the mind, that becomes one of the most important things to address. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you wanna have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with eBay Motors. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Wow. Well, it'll be exciting to see where that goes in the next 10 years, 20 years. For sure. Um, okay, let's let's switch gears here a little bit. So, Uh, so he says that entrepreneurs will make nation states irrelevant one day. And I want to dive into this and understand (laughs) your, your position. Like, do you think this will happen? Maybe partially. So you asked for my position. So, and I think that's important to say, I think Naveen is insanely smart. So I don't easily like, 
um, discount what he's saying, but I will say that statement sort of in its bold, like binary stance, I think is crazy. Um, I think that so discounts the truth of the human condition. I, most people don't think like entrepreneurs, most people, there will forever be, at least in the world that I can predict, there will be so many different entrepreneurs with differing agendas and all of that stuff that they'll, they'll have like, once you go like one of his sort of definitions for, um, being a superpower is only three superpowers so far have ever landed on another celestial body. So he would become the fourth. If that's how you define a superpower, yes. But I think uh, like we probably need a broader, more encompassing definition of superpower. I think that nation states will always be important. Uh, have you started watching the show Glow, Christopher recommended? I have. I've okay. watched three episodes. Yeah. You haven't gotten to this one yet. It's not really giving anything away, but there's this point where um, the producer and the director are both telling uh, one of the wrestlers uh, to do different things. And the wrestler goes, Who's in charge? And that, like, people hunger to know, ultimately, who do I listen to? So I think there's always going to be a nation state that, at the end of the day, has the authority to put you in jail. And so they create laws. And so you know, like, who's the final authority in all of this? And there's somebody to wrangle all of the disparate entrepreneurs. Like, even in Lord of the Flies, like, ultimately, somebody has to be like the final say, sure. otherwise chaos will inevitably reign. Um, I think that humans naturally fall into that. We look for leadership. We're a pack animal, like on and on and on. So uh, you'll, you'll have entrepreneurs that have elements of power that have traditionally been reserved for nation states, but you won't actually have them replacing nation states. All right, fair enough. Had to get your thoughts on that. Uh, here's a quote from the episode. The day we stop being intellectually curious is the day we die. I love that. And I wanted to ask you, why do you think curiosity is so important, important to fulfillment in life? You're now like tapping into something I find so distressing and I don't know what to do with this. Naveen's kids really are fascinating. And I don't know if he's just that good at making people thirsty or if he just got lucky. And with his genetic wiring and his wife's and where his kids grew up that, I don't know. I want to believe that he did it on purpose. You know me. I want to believe all of that stuff is controllable. But some of the most haunting words in my life, and I think they came from Plato, were was, is, are, the only, the only impossible task is raising children. It seems like the butterfly effect to me. Like so many things go into that. I know these two identical twins that I grew up with. I love them like brothers you can't imagine. I feel so close to them even to this day. But when I think about how different they are, it's like, what the fuck? Like why aren't you guys essentially exactly the same? You grew up in the same household. You had mostly the same friends, but clearly, Things happened that made their belief systems and their desires and all of that like diverge. And that is so intriguing to me. I just don't think you can control enough variables. Mm -hmm. So his whole thing about make people thirsty is precisely the reason and in opposite camps, by the way. So his whole thing, don't lead a horse to water, don't worry about that. Focus on making people thirsty. I love that. I love that. I love that. I want it to be true. I don't believe it is. I sit over here and I want to be convinced, keep in mind, but I sit over here and I say, I'm a filtering mechanism. I'm not, I'm never going to try to make anyone thirsty, but if you're thirsty, come to me. Mm -hmm. I have solutions for you. But if you're not thirsty, like I can't help. So that's the thing that terrifies me. It feels like a weakness in my own game. I really, really want to think that I can make people thirsty. Life has tried to teach me that I just can't. Maybe I'm just bad at it. Cool, I'm super open to that because if I'm just bad at it, I can get good and that would make me much happier about pulling people out of the matrix. Right now, I simply filter for people who raise their hand and say, I want out. Okay, Rad, once you want out, I'm your man. I can help you, but like if you, so... Uh, Ibrahim and Lisa C, I think it was, put a challenge to me in Slack. And they were like, motherfucker, I don't understand this culture. What is the impact theory culture? 
which left, I wanted to fall over. I was like, how's that possible? All I do all day is put out fucking content about what the, <laughs> what it is. But I have learned like when people say they don't get it, it's because you're fucking up. So now I've started like putting it down, right? Like really like writing down, like what are the things? Like for instance, we have an unlimited vacation policy, but I fucking believe that if you take a day that you haven't earned, like shame on you, right? But who gets to decide if you've earned it? You and nobody else. And that's the whole reason that we have the policy is I recognize, and I will bring us back, I promise. I recognize that one of the fundamental drivers of fulfillment, which is where your question started, see, I haven't forgotten, fulfillment is being able to control your own destiny, having things like in your control. When to take a day off, that's a pretty rad one to control. If you want a random Tuesday, take a random Tuesday. But my whole thing is, if, you're, if when I say work hard, work smart, and long hours, if that's offensive to you, I'm not your guy. And I'm not going to try to convince you of that. That's not interesting to me. That's thirst, right? That do you want it or not? So bringing it all back around to fulfillment, like there are things to me that, man, you either have or you don't. Thirst is one of them. If being intellectually curious is not in you, which to me is thirst, right? Which is why I tied it all to that. If you're not intellectually, intellectually curious, I don't know how to help you. Like, I don't know how to get you there. So my only hope is you just haven't encountered enough shit that basically you're back where I was when I was saying, I don't like to read. And the truth of the matter was, everyone likes to read. You just haven't found what you'd like to read about. Now, I want to believe that same thing is true of intellectual curiosity. But there are enough people in my life who they've seen what intellectual curiosity has done for me that I've tried to, inter- that I have, in fact, this is what terrifies me. I've introduced them to ideas that make them light up. And you see them like, whoa! And you think, oh my God, they're gonna go read 100 books on this topic. And they don't. They go do nothing. Like they go back to their job that they hate. They come home and watch TV that does not inspire them. They. They don't do anything with it. And so even though when they're around me, I'm going to be really arrogant and gross for a minute. When they're around me, I can see your life is better because you're near me. Because I'm introducing you to stuff that you think is really interesting. And because it's not difficult, you can just keep asking me questions. Like, like, there it is. And like that spark is there and you're loving it. But as soon, I, I believe I have a two hour impact on people. Once you're not around me anymore, it's two hours of diminishing returns. And by the end of the two hours, you can't remember and you, you can't recapture that feeling of motivation that you had when you're around me. That really freaks me out. It further enforces the sense that either you're intellectually curious or you're not. So now, why is that important? If you're intellectually curious, one, it makes you feel alive in and of itself. So let's say I was on a desert island and I could read books about things I would never be able to use. I'd still find it rad. Like I would still, like I would rather be on a desert island with um, 10,000 nonfiction books, okay? So it's not even fiction. Like I get to go on some amazing journey and I get to be teleported off the desert island. It's 10,000 nonfiction books that are gonna help me build my skill set. I'd still rather that. I'd still rather build a skill set even if I don't have all the cool ways to use it. I'd always be mortified that I'm not able to but I'd still rather have the first part just because it makes me feel alive in and of itself. So yeah, to me, intellectual curiosity is like sex. If I have to like explain why it would be rad, I don't know what to do. Like, yeah, I wanted sex long before I had it the first time. So I don't know what else to do. Uh, Do you feel like when you, before you learned to like reading was, would you describe yourself as curious at that time? Uh, Yes, but like that's, it's probably a pretty cheap answer. There were things that I was way into. Like before I found out that I liked reading, I wanted to be a ninja. And I used to make ninja courses in my backyard and I wanted to ride motorcycles and I wanted to like do BMX. And so I made those things a part of my life uh, because I found them awesome. And I dressed as a ninja like four or five times for Halloween. It's the only costume I've ever been more than once. I now refuse to dress up. I hate it more than I can tell you. But when I was a kid and loved it the most, uh, I wanted to be a ninja. So I used to get karate books and practice karate, right? I mean, it's like all those things. Watch the karate kid and then go and like kick your neighbors in the face. And I mean, that was like, 
that was the bee's knees. Right, right. So, yes. So you feel like you've always had it then? I feel like I've always had it. And I don't know if somebody did something to make me that way. If I bumped into something when I was a kid or if I, I'm just like that. I don't know. I don't know. So my question was going to be, how can we get more curious? But since you believe you either have it or you don't. No, I don't. I, I don't want to believe that. Oh, you God. don't want to. And I did earlier say that. I know. <laughs> I so don't want to believe it. I need right now. I need to believe that somebody can show me how to make people intellectually curious, how to make them thirsty. I want them to show me that. So let me ask a different question. For the curious person, how do you, what's the best way to feed your curiosity? Read. Read, read, read. And by reading these days, now I mean also podcasts. And, but like go deep on a topic. And that's one of the things that like I would love for us to find a way, and I've been brainstorming, I'd love for us to have tentacles that go deep down certain topics um, because I feel like we're sort of at a high level building just mindset, but one of the things I love the most is going really deep on a topic yeah, and like really getting good. And since my answer to people is, because people are asking quite frequently like, okay, how do I like really be successful? How do I get my kids to be successful? How do I set them up for success? And the answer is they have to get good at something. Like you have to get really good at something. Get so good they can't ignore you. That's yeah. one of the answers. So reading I think is huge. Um, but if I'm honest, in my research of the microbiome, I spend more time on YouTube and podcasts than I do in books. Yeah. So just learning, looking for different sources, talking to people. Is there, one, is there one that's more important than the other for you? Talking to people versus consuming, sort versus. Of, we'll call it published knowledge, which I'll let be YouTube, podcasts, books, all of it, because they're all very sure. similar to me. But I, I would describe them as different forms of knowledge. One is a book is really well-researched. Um, it's been reviewed. It's been edited. Um, if you're talking about academic journals, I'll give you it's been, been reviewed and edited. I won't give you that podcasts aren't well-researched. So my thing is Some you want to sure. encounter a breadth of ideas. That's critical. Okay. So Naveen talks about this in the episode. Um, don't read one person. Don't pick one expert and go hard on that. Like you need a breadth so that it doesn't just become you sort of borrowing their ideology. Like yeah. you need to take it all in and then synthesize your own belief system because you actually understand this stuff. And I think that's really, really important. And so I... I can't remember what I called the um, the note in Evernote, but it's literally like me collecting the um, the brightest minds. And right now, I don't care if they conflict. Right now, like that would actually be useful to find out like where people agree, where they disagree. Um, I want a breadth. I want a, a wide swath of ideology. And how do you determine for yourself if it's a bright mind? Wow, I've never had to answer that question. Uh, well, I will. I will tell you this. Watching Naveen, and I know Naveen. Watching Naveen, I was struck again. In, in fact, here's what the actual thought process I had watching the episode. I felt like someone should write in, and if, if we don't get this comment in YouTube, I'll be a little disappointed. Bullshit, you guys give the questions to your guests ahead of time. Naveen is so rehearsed, there's no way he didn't know what the questions were. Yeah. And the only question we tell people ahead of time is the final question. What impact do you want to have on the world? Because I don't want people to sit there and be like, uh, uh, uh. Yeah. So that's the only one that we tell people ahead of time. Other than that, even I don't know what I'm going to ask. So that's just Naveen. Like talking to him, you can't help. You may hate Naveen, but you can't say he's not bright. So listening to him, it's like he believes what he's saying. Yeah. Maybe he's wrong, but he believes what he's saying. Maybe he's wrong, but it's well-researched. Maybe he's wrong, but he's passionate. Like you put those things together and it's like, and one way, like I'll just tell you, if when somebody's talking, you feel like I've gotten 100% of what they know. Like if you don't feel like you're getting 95% of what I know about the microbiome every time I talk about it, you're just not listening closely enough. I clearly don't know enough about it, right? I'm at, I have this very thin layer of knowledge that I'm trying to make deeper. But if you ever feel like you've gotten 100% of what I know about the mind in listening to me talk, then I'm terrified. I, I am always mortified that I can only ever get like 20, 30% of like this universe of shit that I have in my head about the mind out. 
Um, and that's why it's always fun. One of the reasons I love Q and A's is because people ask me like questions with all these little variations. So now we can start getting into the subtleties of all this stuff. So if I go and give a talk, I'll talk for like 30 minutes, maybe an hour, but I'll answer questions for six, eight hours, right? And even that, I feel like I'm just scratching the surface. So that's a big thing for me. When I talk to somebody, do I feel like I just got everything they know? Or do I feel like, God, like, no matter what question I answer, like they're touching on something new and I begin to get this map and I feel a bit like a blind person of where like you're sort of touching on their knowledge base and you realize, whoa, this just like keeps going. Because no matter where I try to like find that edge, I just realize there's much vaster territory. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. One of the things you guys talk about is kind of how to learn, um, the navigating the issue of being a learner and then becoming an expert. And I know your thing about um, you don't want knowledge to uh, ossify and you have to constantly be questioning. Is ossify? What's ossify? I say uh, calcify, but is ossify calcify. a real word? I, I think I think we can we can interchange them, yeah. Really? Ossify is to become like a bone, is wow, to thank form you. into a bone. Yeah, so... Um, where was I going with that? Oh, I know. Uh, so he, one of his strategies is to go and read academic publications. So read, um, mm. you know, journals, yeah, yeah, yeah. read, read uh, research articles, really the latest things that are coming out. So going right to the source of the people who are the experts doing the research. Um, I just wanted to ask, like, have you ever done any of that? Is that something that you think is a good strategy for learning as well? No question. Um, I, depending on where you, I don't read abstracts. So we'll start with that. I definitely um, want things like I would read an abstract on a psych, uh, psychology study because I have enough understanding of that neurochemistry and all that. Um, but even that, I don't spend a lot of time there. Um, but getting to like one step above that where it's now ready for publication mm -hmm. like that, 100 percent. And that's essentially what you have to do once you have a base of knowledge then you've got to be going hard on like what's coming out right now. Yeah. What is of the moment? Um, I wouldn't personally, I wouldn't start there to gain my knowledge because like he said, 80% of an article like that, he's not going to understand, but yeah. he's at that point when he gets to that phase of his education, he's got experts that he can go to and ask for clarification and all of that stuff. Um, so I would very much start with a primer, like whatever the topic is, like what's the for dummies version of that, like microbiome for the dummies, not that it exists, but I would try to find that thing. Okay, I begin to understand the lexicon a little bit. Once I have the vocabulary and I can understand a little bit, and by the way, in the early days, I'm, I look everything up. So as I was, and it was interesting to see in the, um, in the episode, he says a word, you carry it. He said it, it strangely, if I remember, in, because of his accent in the episode, and I didn't understand it, so I asked him. And then when I was researching, I'd forgotten it again, and so I had to look it up again. But like doing, which is a single-celled organism, okay. um, if you don't understand something, you should stop and take the time to figure it out. Like even yeah. if that means that you have to like stop every two minutes and like look something up, better that and like really start to get a baseline understanding. Now there will be more complex stuff that you're going to have to just let it roll. And what I do is if it's a word that's like easily look upable, then I'll look it up. If it's a concept that I'm like, oh, I'm a little hazy on that, I'll keep reading from a bunch of different authors knowing if it's a, a sort of really foundational piece, they're all gonna talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so I'll hear it from all these different viewpoints and I'll begin to really understand what it is. So I won't like stop on everything, but when it's like I can tell this is a word I'm gonna need to understand, um, I'll stop. And better to stop a lot and really understand what you're getting into than not stop enough and just be like, oh, I've read a lot, but I don't actually understand what anyone's talking about. It's a bit, it's a bit like learning language. Yeah. You have to stop when you're reading and look things up when you don't get it. A hundred percent. That's cool. So tell me a little bit more about how you navigate that road between like becoming, becoming the expert yourself. And he talks specifically about the expert will tell you, here's why it can't be done. Yeah, and you keep so asking true. them questions and then you, they start to convince themselves that maybe it can be done. Mm. So what's, what's your strategy for that? Now you have to go deep into uh, working with subject. someone or how I gain the knowledge, um, gaining the knowledge. So I start, uh, I'll, 
really specifically my process goes like this. I try to find a book, almost always a book, that's a primer that mm -hmm. I feel like has been really pre-masticated and digested for the masses so that I know they're writing to make it accessible. Um, then once I feel like I know the search terms, then I'm going to start dropping searches into YouTube mm -hmm. and I'll start watching a ton of videos, ideally from different perspectives, um, consciously not being dogmatic. So there are things that like will tap into where I think I know something like, I'll just give you an example. Will and I were going hard on this the other day. Uh, I am dangerously close to being dogmatic about being a vegan, which I know is going to give me all kinds of comments, but nonetheless is true. Um, so on that in particular, when I see something from a vegan, I'll force myself to like, Hey, I'm open to becoming a vegan. If somebody can show me like the science and it really makes sense, like rad. So those are good exercises, like to really open yourself up and see somebody's perspective and also to remind myself all of these experts, whether they're on the side that I believe or on the side that I think is crazy, um, they're all dogmatic. And so they're already in a dangerous place. And so you've got to be the one that is leveraging your naivete. So that's really important for me in that phase before I really understand enough not to be bamboozled by the person who's the loudest or the most emphatic or the most in line with what I already believe. Like you've got to go in leveraging, knowing what makes me powerful at this moment is actually I don't know too much. Mm -hmm. And so going into it with a super open mind. And then I begin to refine. And so I might go deep, like I might pick, once I've done the whole breadth of things, I might pick five, six, seven experts that I really think like know what they're talking about. And I'll start going really deep into their universe and finding out what they're all about, following them socially, watching all their posts. Um, and then once you have that, then it's, and actually during that process, not quite as like simple as step one, step two, step three, but in that process, I try to start thinking about how does this actually work? Like, why does this work? So the way that they're asking me to believe it functions, so like take psychology or mindset or any of that. Whenever somebody asks me to ask me a question I've never thought about before, all I'm doing is sliding back to my understanding of the physics of the mind, right? How neurochemistry works, how brain wiring works, um, how the sympathetic nervous system, parasympathetic nervous system, how we're raised, like how we hardwire things. Like it's easy, you just slide back to the physics and then give your answer from there rather than which is where people get themselves in trouble, sliding back to dogma and saying, these are the statements that I know, and so I'm going to say. And if, in fact, if you watch from the earliest days of Inside Quest to now, you'll see my belief system changing. And, and I try to do that on purpose. And I remember somebody read So Good They Can't Ignore You uh, by Cal Newport, and they said, oh, man, this book is really going to freak you out. Like, maybe you shouldn't even read it because it's all about how passion is bullshit. And I was like, well, I'm like the passion guy. So if somebody's written a book called about passion being bullshit, that's a book I have to read. Sure. So I need to find out, like, can he, can he either give me a better and new belief system? Can he augment my belief system? Whatever. So you've got to like keep that nimbleness and, and making sure that you're like really pushing yourself, but not being afraid to form your own opinions about how things work. And so that's really an important part of this is beginning to understand, okay, this is how I I understand sort of the, the, what I call the physics of the situation and then getting into, based on that, then what do I think would happen here? And then what do they say? Oh, oh, okay, so they understand something I don't or actually I think they're wrong. And that's when it starts to get really interesting is can you have a hypothesis and then test it and see like who's right? And can you allow yourself to believe in yourself enough that you'll actually put forth, here's what I think is actually going right. on. And be willing to be wrong and test yourself and all that. That's great. Awesome. Um, Naveen says that you know, he believes in, in education, right? He believes in uh, college and higher education. And he says specifically that it is a safety net or a backup for sort of the life of the entrepreneur. Yeah. I want to get your thoughts on that. Well, I think we're in a different place in higher education now than he may think about because his kids aren't going to walk away with college debt. Okay, so let's start with that. So um, college debt scares me a little. Mm -hmm. I had enough college debt that it was a very real part of my life, but I didn't walk away with like $80,000 in debt where it's like all you think about. Um, so I, I think that we have to really stop and take a look 
that if the current system is not the best way to be educated, what is the best way to be educated and how do you deal with that? Mm -hmm. So I think that, and by the way, I'm operating from the assumption that people are like me, they're insatiably curious, that they're going to read and learn more after they get out of college than they will in college. And I've learned even things having to do with my major filmmaking, I've learned way more about that after I left than I did while I was there. Um, but his point about surrounding yourself with people that are deeply passionate about that and that they will probably play a role in your life ongoing, that's absolutely true. And for somebody like me, who's not great at um, just like going out and connecting with people, that was awesome. To be forced into a universe where you're going to get to know people whether you want to or not, that was insanely useful for me. So I'm very glad, given the circumstances of my life and everything, I'm very glad I went to college. Also, at that time, that was the very beginning of me really like buckling down and learning. And so having the structure around me to force me, having deadlines and wanting to get accepted into film school and having all this external pressure allowed me to build my mindset. So that was really critical for me. And I think if you're a couch potato, if you're lazy, if you're um, not self-directed yet, right? Those are all things I think people can change. But if you're not those things yet, going to an institution may be incredibly useful for you. Now, that institution doesn't necessarily have to be a college. You could come be an intern at Impact Theory. And fuck, you're going to have a lot of external pressure on you here to live up to a certain um, cultural criteria, which I'm writing down. Uh, so, right, it doesn't have to necessarily be that. But I think that um, for some people, it is the right answer. For many people, it is not. Weigh your financial options, really look at that. Um, be willing to intern. You have to learn somehow, some way. You got to get so good they can't ignore you. So whatever path you take to that, I'm open. There it is. All right. And I think we'll wrap it up there for the day. All right. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Dive into Naveen Jain. Like he is a truly fascinating individual who's created some just unbelievable companies. His mindset is amazing. He did not get those questions in advance. That's really him just thinking deeply about a lot of stuff. Uh, so you can't go wrong with this guy. And while he doesn't really talk about it, he has a deep desire to help people. He answers like all of his own email. He gave his email out. It's crazy. So he wants to help people, definitely does not need to. This man is spastically wealthy. So yeah, leverage people like that who really want to help dive into his world. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.